Hi guys, this is Daniel. Quick disclaimer before we start the story. Um, the Ascribe podcast is designed so that you can listen to any episode in any order and you don't have to pay any attention to anything that's happened before. Each episode is self-contained, with the exception of this. Since this is the finale of season one, um, I kind of wanted to do things a little bit differently and write a sequel to a story that I think a lot of people have liked. And so this story, while it is kind of self-contained, is going to be a lot better if you are familiar with the first story. So if you haven't already listened to episode five of this podcast, which is titled Six Impossible Things, I would suggest that you go back and listen to that story before you listen to this one, just because it is designed to be a little bit of a sequel, a continuation of the story that is told in episode five. Um, And then once you do that, come on back, listen to this episode, and kind of go from there. Second Story Studios presents The Scribe Podcast, where stories are told and glory is given. I'm Daniel Hintz, and in today's episode, we will be looking at the creation of a short story from a single image. What does it look like to build a world through the view of a single window? What larger pictures can be found by staring through a peephole? What happens when inspiration meets imagination, and what might be discovered about oneself in the process? I'm here to ask these questions, and with any luck, to stumble upon some answers too. Whether or not they're the right ones, well, that remains to be seen. But in the meantime, let's tell a story. Philomena Tuttle rides again, or what happens after breakfast. The world was beginning to remember Philomena Tuttle. In her heyday, the soft-spoken, mild-mannered woman who topped out at a brisk one and a half miles per hour had been one of the planet's most recognizable public servants. Looking at her now, you wouldn't have been able to tell. She had retired, leaving the spotlight behind, and for years had been living peacefully at Shady Rest Retirement Home with many of her former colleagues. That old life was behind her, and almost all of the incredible things she had done had been forgotten. Until now. Philomena had once again come into the public eye only this morning for a series of thrilling adventures where she had proved rather adept at summoning seemingly impossible things into the lobby of the retirement home. An ill-advised hostage-taking attempt had turned into a fantastical tableau and front-page headlines for the six or seven people who still read a paper after a large, rainbow-colored dragon appeared and began knocking mercenaries into a chasm in the common room floor. Witnesses swore that no, that chasm hadn't always been there and the missing wall where the dragon's head had found its way in made for some great photo opportunities. Reporters had come from far and wide to get an interview with the unlikely hero, and all afternoon Philomena had been fielding questions about what had happened. Oh, nothing strange. It's all about sticking to a schedule, Philomena would answer humbly. Things have to be put in their proper place, otherwise they get out of hand. There's nothing like a good routine to keep everything in check. That's my only secret. It's not that difficult. It was now mid-afternoon, and things were mostly back to normal. The daily bingo game was going on, but Philomena preferred working on a jigsaw puzzle that had been giving her some trouble the past few days. None of the pieces seemed to fit, and so she had decided that tomorrow, before breakfast, she would have to admit that yes, they were seven-dimensional, and the edge of the puzzle was smaller than its inside. She thought that would do the trick, although it wouldn't solve the problem of the large blue sky section that she still had trouble seeing. Oh, where is Clarence? I need to start getting ready. I should check my list again or I might miss something. 
Philomena was talking to herself, whether because of her age or to cope with the stress of the morning. She picked up her purse and found her list where she always left it, stuck to the fridge just above her grandchildren's latest picture. She glanced at the calendar that hung on the wall too, just to prove to herself that she hadn't confused her dates, and that it was today that Clarence had wanted to stop in. I know he called two weeks ago, but if he comes now, I'll be late for my errands. Maybe he forgot. Or I might have written down the wrong day. Philomena kept wondering, even as she pushed her walker to the lobby to meet her ride. The hallway, which had been unaffected by the attack, was freshly painted with fantastic and beautiful murals of some truly impossible things. Across from Philomena's room, the artwork showed a fish swimming in an upside-down lake, and it was so realistically rendered you might have thought it could come pouring off the wall, as indeed it had only a week or so before, as Philomena recalled. Where do you think you're going, Miss Tuttle? Surely you haven't forgotten our appointment. Don't tell me all this attention is going to your head. Out in the hallway, a voice, like a man's but muffled, sounded behind Philomena. What's the matter, Philomena? You aren't surprised, are you? No, I know you're not. That's why I called. Don't tell me you've forgotten old Clarence the Terror, because I haven't forgotten you. We've fought too many times for that. I remember everything. Philomena turned to see a sight that would have been astounding to anyone else but her. A ten-foot-tall, bipedal robot was filling the hall, arms, and accompanying claws, menacingly spread to the side. On the top, where a head should have been, there was a large glass dome, and from inside, Philomena could just make out the shape of a man's face, lit from behind by a pale blue mechanical glow. The large claws reached forward. One pulled Philomena's walker away while the other pinched tightly around her waist. No, you were expecting me, weren't you? Ha! It's still the same boring routine, isn't it, Philomena? You still do everything so predictably, it's a wonder no one's caught on. But I know your tricks. I know the secret. It's after breakfast, Philomena. What could you possibly throw at me now? You've wished all of your freakish sidekicks away for the day. I've spent years figuring it out, and this is my moment to finally triumph. My chance for revenge. But you knew that already. In fact, I bet you were expecting it. You probably put me on the calendar when I called. That's the best part. I'm going to defeat you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Why? Because it's all part of the routine. Philomena was held, completely immobilized by the giant arm. She looked around almost nervously, as if she had expected something to happen. What's the matter? You're not waiting for someone to save you, are you? I told you, they're not coming today. Is your partner still around? You could try yelling for him, but we both know he won't hear a word you say. Face it, Philomena. You're trapped. Philomena had stopped scanning the hall. At last, she resolutely stared at the shadow inside the glowing sphere, accepting her fate. Clarence Plunkman, you've always talked too much, and now I'm officially late. So if you'd please excuse me, I must be going now. As she said these words, Clarence laughed and lifted Philomena off her feet into the air. But Philomena showed no signs of being intimidated, and in a matter of moments, it became clear why. Without so much as a sound, a large gray creature had appeared behind Clarence, barely contained within the double-wide hallway of Shady Rest Retirement Home's east wing. Just as the claw began squeezing Philomena, the beast, which looked like the unlikely combination of hippopotamus and fierce bird, 
opened its mouth and bit the suit housing Clarence Plunkman. Now left with only one leg, the suit lost its balance and tumbled face-first into the carpet, knocking Philomena loose in the process. She landed in front of a door which opened as Philomena's neighbor Bill peeked out. Afternoon, Phil! Lovely weather we're having, isn't it? Who's your guest? As Bill spoke, the deafening roar of a television set could be heard coming from his apartment. Oh, hello, Bill. You remember Clarence. He dropped by to say hello. As she said this, the robot was trying to push itself upright again, but was having some difficulty due to the weight of the large hippo bird now sitting contentedly on its back. Oh, hi, Clarence! Is that you? Funny seeing you around here! Nice suit! Just like the good old days! Yes, well, he was just leaving. Weren't you, Clarence? Anyway, I can't stay. My ride's here and I have several errands to run. At these words, the hippopotamus dismounted itself from the now rather dented robot's back, eliciting a faint groan from inside. Its before unseen prehensile tail wrapped around to help Philomena back to her feet, and then lifted her so that she was seated just behind the hippo's head. Bill, would you see Clarence out? He might have some trouble finding the way. Bill nodded understandingly and went to knock on the now cracked glass where smoke was beginning to gather. You okay, Clarence? Should I call the nurse? Sorry, what was that? I think my hearing aid is dead. Meanwhile, the hippogriff stretched its wings, which should have, by all measurements, not been possible given the dimensions of the hallway. Then, gathering her walker in its tail, it carried Philomena to the entrance of Shady Rest and leapt into the air. And Philomena Tuttle rode into the sunset once again. So this story was inspired by an image, but it's also a sequel, um, which is the only sequel that I have directly written in season one of this podcast. This story is, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, a sequel to episode number five, which is titled, confusingly, Six Impossible Things, um, and features um, the main character, Philomena Tuttle, um, being the unlikely heroine who saves a retirement home from a group of terrorists. Um, and does it in probably the most colorful, fantastical way imaginable. And this story um, picks up pretty much right where that story leaves off. Um, I wasn't always sure that that was going to be the timing of it, but as soon as I knew that I was going to be doing a season finale, that there was going to be a season one to the Ascribe podcast, and that it was going to end um, before season two would start, I, I wanted to do a really strong season finale. And, and the best way that made sense to do that was to write this sequel. By far, the most um, talked about, the, the most beloved of the stories that I've released on this podcast has been Philomena Tuttle's story. And that was one where people asked for a sequel almost immediately. Um, and pretty much the only story where people asked for a sequel right away. And so... I was resistant to the idea just because I think that sequels are fine, but I, I'm more interested in exploring new ideas. Um, however, for the, the season finale, I thought, why not give the people what they want? Why not write a sequel to the story? And hopefully one that continues the legacy of Philomena Tuttle and doesn't just kind of 
fall into the sequel slump of just kind of coasting along and not being very good. I had this idea to write this story, and I didn't know entirely... On the one hand, Philomena Tuttle is basically a superhero. And sequels to superheroes are easy because you just have them face another villain. But Philomena Tuttle is not your average, ordinary superhero either. Um, First of all, she is one of the most overpowered superheroes. Like, if you just think of, like, superpowers of some of your favorite superheroes. Spider-Man, he's got strength, and he's got agility, and he's got a spider sense. Um, You look at, like, you know, the Flash. He's super fast. Um, You look at even someone like Superman, who has basically every power in the book. Um, Philomena Tuttle wipes the floor with any of these people just on a sheer power level philomena tuttle is dealing with the nature of impossibility and reality and her powers are not limited by anything except her imagination and how crazy she seems so as a superhero it's not like she's just going to face a villain of the week the first story Works, And I think the reason it's fun is because it's surprising Um, that you don't expect Philomena Tuttle to handle the situation like she does to be that awesome. You think she's a crazy woman um, who's just maybe going a little bit senile and then a dragon shows up and she's a superhero. Um, And so the second story, it couldn't just be the exact same story because that story only works one time. You can only surprise people with that once. So I had to go a little bit different route with how I plotted this story out. Um, and this is this is one of the stories where it was very easy to picture in my head as I was writing it. And so it's very it's not as much like here's a theme, extrapolate that into kind of like a an essay or an examination of a theme. It's here's these characters, set them loose, and then here's kind of the framework of of what needs to happen and then see that happen, write the scenes. Um, like I'm watching it in my head and just kind of narrating and describing what's happening. Um, but the first story is about surprise and not taking people for granted. And then this this story is about how would someone go about being a challenge for Philomena? And that was really the first question is Philomena is not, in my mind, like as someone who wrote the character, who understands the character... Um, she's not going to be challenged by anyone or anything. Um, she's awesome. And yet, how would you convince an audience that she might be challenged? And the answer became, well, if the source of her powers is surprise and her routine being thrown off, what if someone attacked her as part of her routine? How would she deal with that? Now, the answer is, well, she just deals with it. But I, I needed to sow that seed of doubt in the audience that, oh, maybe this is her kryptonite. This is her weakness. That if she expects something to happen, that she can't be prepared for it, which is kind of a little bit confusing there. But if her routine gets thrown off, you know, the idea of six impossible things before breakfast, what happens once she has successfully believed in those six impossible things? Like, does she lose the ability to summon mythical creatures after that? Who knows? Um, That was the space I was exploring, the questions I was asking. Um, And then the thing that really shaped 
those were the questions I was need to ask. Okay, so it's a supervillain from her past who knows how to deal with her. But then the, the thing that really shaped the story and the direction it took and some of the beats that I wanted to hit was the title, which I came up with very early, of Philomena Tuttle Rides Again, or subtitle, What Happens After Breakfast. Because Philomena Tuttle Rides Again is a good name for a sequel. And it also then allows me to say, okay, she, she ends this story by riding on some fantastic creature. Originally, it was going to be the dragon again. Um, and then, or what happens after breakfast, which depending on how you punctuate the end of that sentence, what happens after breakfast could be, okay, here's what happens after breakfast, or it could be a question mark. What happens after breakfast? Like how do her powers work later in the day? And those were the two things that I wanted to then explore or kind of shape the story. I had a few beats to it. I knew that an old supervillain was going to show up. I knew that Philomena was going to um, ride off into the sunset, and then I knew that the guy was going, the the, the supervillain was going to be easily dispatched. I, I didn't know kind of the the coloring, the flavoring, and the story shifted slightly as I was telling it. So originally, um, it was not the same day. That was actually the last change I made. Um, the, the the story picks up right afterwards. Originally, it started out that the media had kind of been coming to her and like it had been a few weeks, a few months since this attack and maybe other things had happened since then. So that now Philomena was in the public eye and was attracting attention and some of it was unwanted attention. So that like these up and coming supervillains were maybe coming to Philomena to kind of make a name for themselves that they were gonna they were gonna be the ones to defeat her since apparently she's still powerful and she was like easily taking care of them. And that was just kind of told in brief recap. And that was kind of to establish that, okay, if a surprise happens, Philomena can deal with it. But then when Clarence would show up, it's expected. And I ended up taking that out just because it, I thought it reminded people too much about how powerful Philomena was. And it made it a little bit less believable that she's going to have a struggle with Clarence or that it, it, it made it harder to doubt that because it's like well you just told me she dealt with people like no sweat and so i took that part out and condensed the time frame so that it's the same day so that we know philomena's had a rough day she's been surprised she's had to do interviews like her schedule is um she's tired um, she's kind of frazzled and so like she it might be believable that she's not at the peak of her powers that maybe you know her powers are limited because in the first story it's not really explained how the powers work. And I don't really talk about how does she do this? What are the nature of her powers? I did that on purpose because I think sometimes, especially if you're writing a story like this, that has a lot of like, it has a world with a lot of rules in it. Um, it can be hard to, if you overdefine the rules, you just create a box that's difficult to work in. So I left a lot of things open in the first story so that I could come in and like change them later without breaking my own rules. And so I had to then in this story, without just bogging it down, kind of try to explain maybe how her powers work a little bit, um, or at least give the sense of a vague idea of how they might work. Um, so I did that. I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted Clarence to show up as part of her routine, but I didn't know what that was going to look like until I was talking to my brother Joe about it. And he's like, I now I, I'm picturing the idea that like he called her a couple weeks ahead of time and told her he was coming. 
and like how outrageous that is that like a supervillain is scheduling like hey Philomena on this day I'm gonna be there and she would just write it on her schedule because it's part of her routine that's how he would try to thwart her Uh, which is a terrible dumb idea but it might be a way to circumvent her powers so that was that idea of of the phone call was my brother joe's idea i'll give credit where credit is due that was due to him um and i i loved that and then he also talked me out of the just using the dragon again at the end to ride off into the sunset i kind of like the continuity of that but the reality is when you have a superhero who is as powerful and as unlimited as philomena to use the same thing twice as like a ex machina feels cheap like he's not limited by oh a dragon like and there's some debate within the lore of this world if she is even able to summon the same thing twice like can she do that i don't know maybe that's something to be fleshed out in prequels and sequels that you as an audience write i'd love to hear your theories um but anyway I eventually was like, okay, well, what other sort of fantastic creature could she ride off in? Because she needs to ride off into the sunset. That's just a good ending. And then we were talking about, like, well, it could be like a pegasus. It could be um, like a unicorn with wings or something. Or it could be a hippogriff. And then I realized that a hippogriff is not actually part hippo. And that that's a grievous oversight. Because the idea of a hippo combined with something else, but it's a hippo, is one of the funniest images and so I pictured like a hippo that's partly covered in feathers and has wings. Um, and I loved that image so much. I could picture it so clearly. I was like, no, that's it. Um, it's just a hippo and it's got some feathers and wings. <laughs> um, which I just, I love. I love that picture. So that, and then as far as one of the best parts of the first story, if we're being honest, is the character of Bill. In that he's a very believable character. And like a little, he's a little bit of a stereotype of like old people. And I don't mean it in like a hurtful way. But at the same time, it's a stereotype because it echoes reality. Or, you know, it's, it's just, I think he's a good character. Um, without being too mean-spirited or anything. And so I, I, I wanted to bring him back. I was also thinking, well, it's a sequel. Maybe I need to add in another character. So I was trying to come up with maybe like another sidekick character. Or another character who used to be part of kind of the um, the team of superheroes that Philomena Tuttle was a part of back in the day. And eventually I just got cut because it was making the story too long. Like the story is already pretty long by the standards of this podcast and it didn't need to get bogged down with some other um, characters who weren't really going to do anything or add anything. Um, it was basically just going to be like a female Bill, um, like a female sidekick who has a couple funny lines, um, which... It's just unnecessary. I just gave Bill a couple extra lines and kind of fleshed out his character more. And so then the other thing I had fun doing was exploring kind of a little bit of world building and not like beating you over the head with the world, but just dropping hints here and there. So, for instance, in the story, I never use the term superheroes. And that's what Philomena Tuttle is. But I wanted this world to have a different terminology for that. And so I refer to her as a public servant. And... That is the world, like that's what this world calls superheroes, is that they're public servants. And the implication is because Philomena Tuttle is kind of forgotten, the implication might be that like there aren't very many active public servants in the world, or that like there was kind of a golden age 
and that maybe now people aren't as powerful or that it's just not in, as important or that you know people retire and maybe it's kind of like a like a president like once they retire you're kind of aware of them but you also kind of forget about them until something they, they do something in the news and then you're like oh yeah that person was president or that person did something a long time ago and kind of reminds everyone of it um and then the other thing that i always have fun with in these like is just the absurd things that are impossible that philomena believes um the upside down lake that painting that actually flooded you know the place a couple of weeks ago or the puzzle that is seven dimensional and the outside is smaller than the inside and like just ridiculous stuff like that like that's the most fun part of these stories is how how, how imaginative can i be like what sorts of things can i throw out there without just saying here's a mythical creature because those are easy to do but like what are other impossible things that break just not the bounds of like possibility, but also like logic that are fun. Uh, as far as the actual, then how Philomena was going to win the day. I knew that she deals with the situation. Like she's not troubled by this at all, but she needs to appear troubled. And so it had to, the, the ex machina of whatever showed up to save her had to be a little bit different in the first story. Philomena's powers come from the frustration of not sticking to a schedule. That it's about what happens when your plans are are upset and you're interrupted. And that kind of being a source of power for Philomena. In the second story, it's about a plan that is executed well. It's the opposite of that. What happens when everything goes according to plan? The fact that, okay, Clarence shows up. Philomena knew this. Philomena also knows that her ride is showing up. And that her ride can totally deal with Clarence. Like that that's all part of her plan. And so that this weakness that Clarence thinks that she has is not actually a weakness. It's just another way of her dealing with the problem. Because in both perceptions, like that's really not Philomena. That's not that's really not where Philomena's powers come from. That's not really what defines her as a character. Um, she likes her her structure, but she's also adaptable and can improvise. But she's also a great planner because um, she's just she's awesome. And like she's the sort of character she is a superhero or a public servant, but she couldn't sustain like her own comic book, I don't think, just because she is overpowered. And that's like something you hear um, you hear arguments about with like Superman that like, oh, he's too powerful. He's not an interesting character because he never struggles with anything. If that's true of Superman, which I, I don't think it necessarily is, just because I think Superman's struggles are a little bit different than a regular superhero struggles. Like, he struggles with being a good person and, like, doing the right thing and being Clark Kent and 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 all of those things, whereas, like, beating up Lex Luthor, super easy. And so Philomena, yeah, she's not going to struggle with any superpower-related things. But she is maybe going to struggle with like being an old person and like, but that's not like an interesting comic. So I don't think that she's the sort of like serialized person, especially if you went to like back in her heyday. Like if you went and did like a prequel comic book series about Philomena Tuttle and her team of public servants, um, that's not gonna be interesting because at no point do they ever struggle with anything like there is no way Philomena Tuttle is having a hard time defeating your superpowered individuals, unless you have some insane superpowered individuals. But that's why she's got a team. Like there's there's nothing interesting story-wise there. 
So I think this is probably the last Philomena Tuttle story I have in me, just for my vision of the character, which makes it fitting for a season finale that like, this is, this is what I've got. This is all I've got for this character. I think there's more to be done in the world and building that. But as far as actual interesting stories that have points, that have messages, that have, uh, have narrative arcs, I don't have any more right now. Although I think that there are probably stories out there that I am just not capable of telling. And if you would like to tell those stories, I would love to hear about them. Um, Like I said, this is the season finale, so there's going to be a break in the Ascribe podcast. And that would be a fantastic time for listeners and readers to write in um, www.ascribepodcast.wordpress.com to write in and to send me all of your fan stories or fan art, or um, things that you've written that have been inspired by this podcast, Um, if not directly, at least just like, hey, I was inspired to be creative and to do something because of this podcast. Those are things that, honestly, that's my favorite part of this experience, is I love telling stories, and I love talking about stories, but I love also seeing ways that I can inspire and, and help other people to also do those things and to be creative and to tell stories worth telling and give glory where glory is due. Like, I love that. I love that community. And so if you have any stories or anything that you'd like to share like that, like I said, head over to the website, scribepodcast.wordpress.com and get in touch with me. Even if I'm not releasing podcast episodes, I will still read everything that you send me and would still love to continue the discussion in that way. Otherwise, I do not yet know how long the break will be before Ascribe Podcast Season 2 comes out, I will kind of keep keep you guys posted as far as what that's going to look like. Um, I have been doing a lot of thinking about the format, and I've got some, I think, pretty cool ideas for... It's going to be completely different than season one, but I think it's going to be better. And I think it's going to be kind of focusing it on what makes this good and how to kind of step it up a notch. So I'm really excited to experiment with it. It might be a failed experiment, but, you know, it's worth a shot. In the meantime... Thank you for listening to this, the season finale of Ascribe Podcast, Season 1. I have been your host, Daniel Hintz. And until next season, tell stories worth telling. Give glory where glory is due. Goodbye.